Well, hey, everybody. I'm John. And I'm Brandon. And this is another episode of The Principal Thing. Walk in the light so the darkness cannot claim you. Those who walk in darkness can't see. Put your trust in the light while the days are getting shorter. Then you'll become children of the light. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. We have interviewed several people over the course of our last four or so episodes. Today, Brandon and I are just going to discuss the topic of love. Love. Right. We'll also discuss that. But with it being Valentine's Day and with it being the season where we're all thinking about romantic love and how we can... Uh, how we can gift something to our spouses, or some of us are thinking about how lonely we are. We wanted to actually take a look at what the Bible has to say about love, what it really is, and how we really show it. Uh, so that's what we decided we were going to do today. Now, we we kind of are starting off on the back foot, I think, because in the English language, there are over one million words, if you count scientific words which are Latin, but I digress. Uh, now, the average person in the United States knows about 20,000 words and will use uh, approximately 2,000 of, of those words, 2,000 different words, throughout the course of his or her week. Uh, men and women both, we have a tendency to speak about an average of 16,000 words a day. For me, that number is much higher. If you do not believe me, do please ask my wife, Megan. Now, uh or listen to this podcast. Or listen to this podcast. There you go. <laughs> the problem, of course, is that we have a tendency to, with these one million words, we have a tendency to take a word and assign several different definitions to it. For example, the word that we're speaking about today, love, has, love. Love has several different definitions. <laughs> It can be used several different ways in the English language, and you normally have to look for context clues to figure out what is being said. For example, when I say to my wife, I love you, that means something different than when I say to a hamburger or uh, a plate of barbecue ribs, I love you. I I say it differently, but even the context and, and the, the setting alter the meaning of the word love. So Which is kind of funny because the inflection that you just gave to the barbecue ribs sounded more intense than the, the here's, here's, here's the thing. Sometimes the love that a person has for barbecue ribs is extremely so intense. Right? See, it's very confusing in the English language. We have trouble with it. And because we have trouble with it, we've boiled down the meaning of love. We don't really always use it the right way. So what we thought we would do today is look at the different words that the original biblical language, Greek, we're going to look at the different words that they had for love. We're going to see what those words mean. We're going to see where they were used in the New Testament. And then we're going to look in the New Testament where Jesus or Paul or John might have used some very specific words to describe love and what that means for us and how we're supposed to show it to other people. Yeah, isn't that so interesting? Like we have 
love, and they use like five words, and there are more than that in the Greek language. But right, um, in the New Testament, we see we see like three. We do the New Testament words. The New Testament did not use a whole lot of words for love. They certainly the the writers of the New Testament certain certainly did not use all of the words that the Greek language had for love. Yeah, there are five different Greek words, or at least that that we know of, um, that that they used for love. The first one is storge, um, which is kind of that natural affection. So like towards your family members. So like how you love your sister, your brother, your father, your mother, that kind of thing. Um, and also people who are united by some common bond. Um, we actually see Paul use this in Romans 12, uh, verse 10, where he says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Love each other with genuine affection. So um, it, it's just kind of that natural affection that we have by being in a common bond. So we love each other in a storge kind of way. But also, uh, and I love this one, um, but phileo, which is a love between friends, uh, or um, you may know, um, it as a brotherly love. I think we, you know, sometimes hear that from the pulpit, but uh, we could kind of look at Jonathan and David in the Old Testament. You know, we could see this kind of brotherly love, that that bond, that strong bond that they have uh, between each other with common values and interest. Um, we actually see this in First Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 8, uh, which says, Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters. Um, another reason I kind of love <laughs> phileo is because my wife and I, um, we served in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania as evangelism catalysts. Well, that city, Philadelphia, is known as the city of love, and uh, that's where they actually get phila from Philadelphia, um, and also the biblical Philadelphia came from this word, uh, phileo, uh, the city of brotherly love. So that's um, that's pretty cool, pretty now, cool connection that we made there. Now, what I really like about these first two uses of the word love, storge uh, and phileo, is in both of the biblical examples that you gave in both Romans and in First Peter, they're used in context of the church and the way that the church members are supposed to interact with one another. Uh, in, in Romans, Paul told the Roman church, you're supposed to love one another with a genuine affection, uh, an affection that he is comparing there, obviously, to the, the affection that your mom or your dad would have for you as, uh, as, as, their, as their child. It's, a, it's yeah. an affection that is genuine, and it, it is, it's natural. And then First Peter, uh, Peter's talking about having this love that a brother or a sister would have with one another. You know, really, for those of us who have siblings, brothers and sisters were kind of the first friends that we had before schoolmates or uh, daycare friends or whatever. You, you played with brother and sister, and you, you got to know them, and they got to know you in a very real way. Uh, very intimate kind of way that nobody knew you until you went away and made friends outside the family. Um, so the the idea here between b- behind both of these forms of love is just how natural they are, that they're just something that that we have for these other people. 
Yeah. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to, I mean, obviously as you grow older, loving your family sometimes does become something that you have to work toward as conflicts arise and, and those sorts of things. But in the, in the context of these two passages, Paul and Peter are both here saying the love that you have for one another should be as natural as the love is that you have for your family. Yeah. I just, I love that. Yeah. And, and so that kind of brings us to, so the first two, um, while they're kind of different degrees of like that general affection towards, you know, your family or, um, our, our spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ, um, we, we come to this, this next kind of love that is really just amazing because it's so unique. There is really no kind of love like this, and that is agape. Um, and I'm sure a, a lot of people have heard of agape. Uh, well, we, of, we have churches that call themselves agape church. Yeah, right. Um, so this kind of love, agape love, is sacrificial. Uh, it is altruistic. It is unchanging and unconditional. Um, and I actually love that because the only person to have ever represented this love perfectly is Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying, I'm saying person in the sense of the only person who has ever lived on this earth as a human being, as well as, you know, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. And he's the only one who has ever been able to execute agape love to its fullest extent. And we see this in John 14, 21, which says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I, being Jesus, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. The only one who could ever say anything like that is one who is fully God and fully man, because he understands um, He understands where we are. You know, he understands the uh, which I think we'll talk about this in a minute, the, the kind of shallow degree of love that we have yeah. um, and, and kind of think through um, or don't think through either one. <laughs> um, but then you have Jesus who's just on this, this other level of agape love. I mean, he um, talking about sacrificial, I mean, he loved us so much. He laid down his own life for us. Talk about sacrifice. Right, um, right. It, it, and it's unchanging, and I love that too. You know, um, we talk about God is the same uh, yesterday, today, and forever, but sometimes it doesn't seem like we live like we believe that. You know, His love for us truly is unchanging. Even if we make a mistake, God still loves us the same, and it blows our mind. We can't even fathom it because all we see, uh, well, first is children. But then as parents, you know, it's, it's tough to say, but it feels like our love can change. It, it shifts based on our kids' behavior sometimes. And that's a terrible place to be, but it, it happens, it you know, does. in our natural flesh. It does. And it's, it's, it is something that you don't see from Jesus. Right. You know, Jesus had the same love for all 12 disciples. Jesus loved Judas just as much when Judas dipped his his bread into the cup right. and then left to go betray him as he did the first day he met him. And, and Which blows our mind. Right. And, and then when you think, well, Jesus loved Judas as much as Jesus loved Peter or John. And John describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right. 
but his love, and it's not just a love that he had for those 12 men, it's a love that he has for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, in Bible drill, our kids, our first and second graders, we started learning John 3.16, which is a, a verse that I think everybody is familiar with. Sure. But in the CSB, which is what, that's the Bible version that we're using, it says, God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son. Yeah. You know, we, we say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. And I think we just, we roll that off our tongue and don't think about what it right. means. But when you break it down, he loved them in this way, them being all of us, that he gave something up, his only son, so that if we believe, you know, then we can have eternal life with him. Sacrifice. And it's, absolutely. It's a sacrifice, and it's it's an altruism that we... We can't perceive it. We cannot. Even more than that, like, you know, Jesus tells us, he he commands us to love as he loved us. You know, like, um, he commands us to love other people. Well, it's it's sad to say, and Hannah and I, actually, we aren't even on Facebook anymore, but when you when we were on Facebook, and you just kind of see, like, the Christians who... Or, or say that they're Christians, but their love is so all over the place. Like you have, I mean, I say love as in like, you know, one minute we're we're loving a group of people, and then on the other side of this, we're we're almost, I mean, we're hating another group of people. Well, social media is designed, whether or not the creators will admit this, it is designed to divide. Yeah. Uh, we as Christians a lot of time fall into that trap without thinking about it, where we're just, we, our opinions about things in the world are so strong that we're just going to share them and we don't care who we hurt. And we don't, and if you don't agree with us, Mm -hmm. well, well, then you're, you're just wrong and we don't like you. Uh, And I, I wish that the, I wish that the verbiage that was used on social media was as, was as kind of light as what I just said, because it gets pretty vitriolic pretty quickly. Well, and, you know, every word that we say is gauged by the weight of our love. And so when we when we post those things, people are watching our love change, which yes. is against the love that Jesus has for us. So, right, yeah. you know, where's the disconnect there? Well, honestly, I believe that the disconnect is here. At, at church, I believe that we, as a church in the United States, have not learned whether it's a, a generational thing or whether it's just that we've been so free for so long that we, we haven't had to, but we haven't learned to love the way that Jesus loves. And mm-hmm. I don't know... I, I wish that we could find somebody and lay it at that person's feet and say, you did not teach us how to love, but, but we can't because the bottom line is we all have the word of God. We do. We all have the same mandate, mm-hmm. which is love others the way that I've loved you. Yeah. And by this love, they will know that you are mine. And so it, it falls at the feet really of every single one of us. If somebody does not know that we are Christians, if somebody does not see the love of Jesus, if somebody does not see a sacrificial, altruistic, truly agape love, 
well, then we have to question if we really have allowed God to change our hearts or if we've just said a prayer and uh, said we're okay. Like, I've said that prayer, I'm getting into heaven. Cool. Yeah, and um, I, I completely agree. And that's, I think, John, why I love this discipleship initiative that we're doing at our church. Like, we we started a discipleship initiative for those of you who aren't involved um, on Wednesday nights in our church. Stay tuned to the break when we will give you more information. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, I, I love that time of discipleship on Wednesday nights because we break off into groups of men and women, and we just kind of pour into each other this conversation revolving around, um, uh, obviously, our walk and with the Lord Jesus. And we um, speak the Word of God into each other's lives. We pray over one another. Um but we, we walk through um, and talk about the love that Jesus had for his disciples and the love that Jesus has for us as his disciples today and how we can grow in that together. And so I think that is a really active way because, you know, I don't, we don't want to get in the habit of like beating up on the church because that's not what we're no, here to do. No, 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 no. Um, but I, I, I love being reminded of how good the Lord Jesus is. And so I'm hoping that this is kind of an encouragement for you that, you know, in your church, like if you're not a part of our church, start something, like start a discipleship thing in your own church where you are pouring into other people's lives, men and women in your church, um, and just building them up, encouraging them in the love of Jesus Christ. Um, You know, Paul said, encouraging one another all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching, because um, one day Jesus is coming back. And, you know, at that point, you know, our life will be flashed before our eyes, and we will see every moment that we made either count for the Lord or, you know, (laughs) not as much. And we will give account for the things that we said in carelessness and the things that we said without love. Right. So now we are going to take a quick break, um, but please stay tuned right after the break. Uh, We're going to jump into another kind of love that I think um, really defines our culture and how we kind of fit into that. Well, listeners, I know it's only February right now, but we have got a big summer coming up. We have two camps, both Youth Beach Camp in June and Kids Camp in July. Plus, we have VBS July the 8th through the 12th. If you're interested in working with VBS, being a part of the VBS Army, you can come and talk to me, John, or my assistant, Miss Mindy, in the office, and we will be happy to plug you in. VBS is a really great time for us to reach out and be the gospel in our community to the kids all around. You do not want to miss it. This year, I'm really excited. It's a construction theme. Are you intrigued yet? I'm super intrigued. It's going to be awesome. Come talk to me, John, or Mindy in the office. We will put you to work. And now, back to part two of The Principal Thing. Welcome back to this episode of The Principal Thing. Um, So far, we've been talking about the different types of love used in the New Testament, but now uh, we are actually going to um, break down one uh, type of love that the Greek uh, language has, which is actually ironically not used in the New Testament. 
Um, but I think it's important, and you'll see why. But this love is eros, which is that erotic or sensual kind of love. And the reason, um, you know, it's not new, used in the New Testament, um, but we still wanted to kind of bring that up is because um, I feel personally like that is that is where our culture is. That is the word or the use of love that is just dominant in our culture and society. Wouldn't you agree, John? It seems to be the only kind of love that we know or the only kind of love that our culture knows, for sure. Um, obviously, in the context of uh, Scripture and how God has defined um, marriage and love between a, a husband and a wife, you know, it that kind of love can be a beautiful thing. It can reflect... Uh, the beauty of the image of God. It can reflect um, the communion that God has with himself, which, um, you know, we can have with each other and be unified. We can be one body. There is a beauty to that, but like our culture has just so destroyed that image of the beauty and the magnificence of having that magnificence is a little strong. Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I think magnificence is a good way to describe what God has designed and given to the people that he loves. Yeah. Uh, the problem, of course, is that our culture has taken the gift and elevated it to the position of the giver, and now this eros, this sensual kind of love, is worshipped as the only kind of love that matters right. in the culture at large. It's so crazy. You know, we we talk about society and we look at kind of marketing in general. Like it, almost every advertisement on TV, like if you watch the Super Bowl, which um, we actually didn't, but we heard about this and read about um, what transpired in the halftime show. Yeah, that Facebook that you guys aren't on was lit up for about a week. Well, what I'm saying, yeah, exactly. What I'm saying is like that that is the predominant market. Like they right. paid millions of dollars for that segment um, in order to attract the dominant um, perceptual uh, marketing base right, of right, our right. society. Um, why else would they pay millions of dollars to get those spots sealed for those particular um dancers and singers or artists or those particular commercials uh, in that that halftime segment or whatever, um, or even throughout the entire Super Bowl, why would they if they weren't smart about it and and knew that that was where the culture is? And um, it, to me, it's especially as a parent, it, it's really scary. You um, think it's scary now? Wait till your sons are old enough to understand what they're seeing. <laughs> It gets worse. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and that's, I think, why, you know, Solomon said it in Proverbs. Um, uh, God said it. Jesus said it. Uh, Paul has written to it about the churches. But that's why we have to be so careful to guard our eyes. We have to guard our ears and we have to guard our hearts. Uh, because when we let that stuff in, it will, Satan will use it to destroy family. And he does. He yes. destroys family after family after family. Um, now, 
here's here's the thing. And obviously, I think marketing has played on this, but I think it it derives from something else. And I think at its core, this is where it goes. This is where Eros leads, or I think uh, derived from, excuse me. I think it has come from the human tendency to always have what we want. So that, you know, that, that part of our flesh that constantly says, I need that, or I want that. Um, I think that's where it starts. There's like that, um, that desire in our hearts that just says that kind of love is what's going to satisfy me. And it's reinforced throughout society that if you get something that will make you happy, then you, that, that's what, that's what you need to pursue. So if, um, if, sensuality is going to make you happy, pursue yeah. it. If a uh, career is going to make you happy, pursue it. If these things are going to make you happy, pursue it. Uh, in, in our culture, in particular in the West, we have so idolized sex and sensuality that those have become the things that we are taught that are reinforced in us from a very young age. These are the things that will make you happy. And these are the things that you need to be complete. Yeah. Uh, we, we see it. Uh, I, I spoke about this at the dad daughter date, uh, at, during dad daughter date night, I told dads, you know, your girls are going to be taught that their identity is wrapped up in what they look like yeah. and it's wrapped up in what they can give. And, and so we're taught that, and that leads back to that eros love that people are looking for, and it it makes it turns people, it it turns people ugly, really, and and it it's yeah, it's like we take, like we can't have natural beauty anymore. We can't, um, we can't be thankful for how God has created us, male and female, how He's made us distinct. Now we have to, uh, to dress it up in the way that we think. Um, makes us look more appealing, more attractive, whatever. And all of this, all of this goes back to, in the English language, we only have this one word, love. love. Yeah. And it does not always adequately define how we are supposed to feel or act. Because if we're, if we're honest, those first three words for love, storge, phileo, and agape, were not words of feeling, but they were words of action. Storge and phileo, less so, but agape definitely was a word of action. It was a verb, yeah. not a noun. Love does, not really... Right, love not is. love is, exactly. And so what we find is that in our culture, we have this misunderstanding of what love is and of what love does, and so then the culture has latched on to one aspect of love rather than taking the time to figure out what exactly love is supposed to mean. Now, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time beating up on the church, but we do need to admit that there, the, the disconnect is, is in part, I think, due to the fact that in the 20th century, the church in the United States and in the West just kind of said, okay, if you guys want to do things that way, that's fine. We'll go do our own thing. 
and we have had less cultural impact throughout the last 100 years than the church has had throughout the entire 2,000 years before it. Yeah, it's hard to—I think it's it's so hard to find that balance because, you know, we've talked in a, a previous episode where Jesus actually spent the majority of its of his time uh, with sinners. You know, he was with the lost because that was his mission. Well, um, truth is, church, that is our mission as well. You know, we are are supposed to be reclining with the lost and ministering and and um, pouring our lives into them. And and I tend to agree that you know over the course of history, uh, the church has kind of become internalized a little bit. Um, again, not to beat up. I'm just saying um, I I need to be reminded of that. Again, on a daily basis, like, hey, uh, stop focusing so much internally. Yes, it's important. We should be loving one another. We should be yes. loving each other in the church. Yes. We should be serving one another in the church and building up the body, encouraging one another. Um, but we're also uh, more so, I think, uh, supposed to be out into the world showing the love of Christ to them, praying for them, praying with them, um, sharing the gospel to them. You know, like we, we've we got to be—there um, has to be that balance. So let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at what that is going to look like uh, in terms of what Jesus has asked us to do. So for this agape love, for this sacrificial, altruistic love— the the passage of scripture that I was reminded of was John chapter 15 uh, and verses 9 through 17. Now I'm going to read a little bit of it, but I'm not going to read all of it because I assume listeners that you also can read. So I'm just going to give you the scripture reference and then read a little bit of it. But uh, Jesus was talking about abiding in him. Jesus was talking about staying with him in John chapter 15. And in verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. And then he says, Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I'm going to skip down to verse 12. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. And then he defines what love is in verse 13. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Yeah. And then in verse 17, this is what I command you, love one another. So Jesus, he tells his disciples, I want you to love each other. And I want you to love each other the way that I have loved you. Now, how have I loved you? I've loved you like this. I have laid down my life for you, my friends. Yeah. In this passage, Jesus told them, he said, I no longer call you my servants. I call you my friends, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to lay down my life for you. And the disciples, we have to understand, didn't understand everything that sure. was going on right now. Right. They were probably really confused by a lot of what Jesus was saying right here. But we have the benefit of the entire canon of Scripture, and we can look at that, and we can say, Jesus knows what's happening. And, and we see historically, that from here he went to the cross and he did die for us and he showed exactly what that agape love looks like. And he says, the first thing that you are supposed to do is love each other. And he says this to the 12 men who are going to become the leaders 
of this brand new movement, the church, uh, once we get to Acts chapter 2, okay? Now remember, I, I said earlier that Jesus loved Judas as much as he loved everybody else. Judas was here. Judas heard this whole speech right here in John chapter 15. Mm. So it, it it's a big deal when Jesus says, love each other the way that I've loved you. And we're going to get to loving other people in a minute, but but love each other. He's talking to the men who are going to lead the church, and he says, love each other the way that I have loved you. And we see that of these men, all of them, with the exception of John, were martyred. And even John was tortured beyond anything that any of us can possibly imagine before he was just allowed to grow old in exile. Um, all of these men gave their lives for their friends. Mm -hmm. And throughout the history of the church, we see men and women giving their lives for their friends. And today we see men and women uh, in the global South, men and women in the Middle and Far East. We see them giving their lives, living this kind of agape love. The thing about this love, it will always require us to give up something. Yeah. It may not require you to give up your life, but it will always require you to give up something because it is a sacrificial love. In one of the previous episodes, Brandon, you said that sacrifice has become an ugly word in our society. Mm -hmm. And you referenced earlier that we just want what we want. Agape love is the opposite of that. This love that Jesus is talking about, it is a love that gives up what you want, that gives up what you think you deserve yeah. for the benefit of someone else. And that scares us, right? So, like, It scares me to death, you know, absolutely. I think of the, the song, um, actually, before I say this, so you, know, you were talking about love, and, and I love this uh, in this passage where it says, I no longer call you slaves. Well, um, Scripture actually talks about this, but fear is the opposite of love. Yes. Like the opposite of love is fear. And I, I love what uh, the song says. Um, Bethel uh, actually put it out, but um, it's a really good song. No longer slaves. You know, I'm right. no longer a, a slave, slave to, to fear. fear. I'm a child of God Absolutely. and I can rest yes. and yes. I can not only rest in his love, but I can be free to love. And um, I, I love that. We, we're no longer slaves to fear. Fear of not only, obviously, risking losing our lives, right? Um, but also fear that kind of, you know, we have to give something up. We, we're, we don't have to be enslaved to that. Well, the, the root of all sin is pride, really. Mm. Pride and, and wanting to, wanting what we want, what we deserve, because it's us. You know, yeah. the the... Eve wanted that fruit because the serpent convinced her that God was not being honest with her. And so her pride said, well, I'm going to get take that fruit and I'm going to be honest with myself. And, and that was the beginning of our sin problem. Okay. Yeah. And, and then Adam did the same thing. Okay. And so now we have this idea that we deserve something when true love, agape love says, all that I deserve is to give up for you. Yeah. Fear tells us that we need to hold on to what we have. Love says, give everything away. Give it up. All of it. Absolutely. 
So from from there, from John chapter 15, uh, I'm going to now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is a very famous passage. It is uh, known as the love chapter in a lot of Christian circles. We have a tendency, I believe, to take this chapter and yank it right out of context and just use it the way that we want to. It's uh, read at a lot of weddings, which is good. Um, but the, the context of this chapter, the Corinthian church was in an uproar. Nobody could decide who was in charge. People were fighting. And Paul was just irritated. He yeah. said, you guys are just being a bunch of knuckleheads. And they were, and sometimes we are too now, okay? so, But he had just talked to them about the fact that there are different gifts in the church, but that the church is one unified body and all of the gifts are important. But then he says, I'm going to show you a better way than all of these gifts. And he starts to talk about love. And that's why it begins the way that it does. If I speak in human or angelic tongues, so if I use special tongues, but I don't do it in love, he says, I'm nothing but a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If, if I have the gift of prophecy and I understand everything, and I have a faith that can move mountains, he says, Think about this, the gift of prophecy, the understanding of all of the mysteries of God and the faith that can move mountains. Paul says, if I have all of that, but I don't have love, then I have nothing. I am nothing. And then he tells us what love is. It's patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrong. It finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. And then this, this one verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, I have to constantly remind myself that this is how God feels toward me. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It bears all things. It bears all of the sin. It bears all of the ignorance. It bears all of the disrespect. It believes all things. It believes that I can become more like Jesus. It hopes all things. It hopes. And, and, and we have to have hope, but God doesn't have to have hope because God can see. So God doesn't just hope all things. God knows that he can make us like him and that he is. And then it endures all things. All of the trials that I put God through, all of the times that I say, I will do this if all of the times that I say, I can't believe that you made me go through that. I'm never going to do this again. Yeah. All of the things that all of us do to God because we are human and we are sinful and we forget. God loves us any, anyway because love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is why... It is so important for us. That's why Paul spent so much time earlier in this book talking about what a marriage is supposed to look like and why he told the Ephesians that the mystery of a man and a woman coming together is, is more than just marriage. It's a picture of Christ in the church because love does all of these things. Paul says love never ends. He says prophecies will come to an end. Speaking in tongues will come to an end. Knowledge will come to an end. But love will never, ever end. Think about that. 
when we think about God is love, when we say God is love, love never ends. We cannot fathom the amount of love. You know, we quoted John 3.16 earlier. We cannot even understand the sacrifice that that was. And here we have, right in the middle of this diatribe about the church, this uh, speech about what we're supposed to be like, Paul stops and says, but none of it matters if you don't love each other. None of your spiritual gifts are worth a hill of beans if you do not love each other, you chumps. And then he goes back on in, in in chapter 14, and he starts talking about this is what you should be trying to do with your love. Tell the truth. Share the truth with the people around you out of love. Yeah. Not hate. And that's, you know, that's, we see that so much. Like, you know, people say they're sharing their faith, but, um, or preaching the gospel, but the motives are of hate, not love. Right. And uh, it is kind of funny because, you know, uh, we're actually, uh, Dr. Mikey, our interim pastor, whom we've interviewed here on the podcast, um, he's actually preaching out of the book of Philippians. And literally the last, um, this past Sunday, he talked about uh, where Paul um, talked about people preaching in vain, preaching the gospel uh, in vain or deceitful motives or out of arrogance or whatever, um, or really just to to get on Paul's nerves and to to <laughs> condemn him. I mean, literally, that's he was yes. like, these people are preaching like literally just to get on my nerves. Um, they don't really care about the gospel itself. But he said, nonetheless, um, they preach Christ. And, uh, you know, we know that his word um, is, uh, it, it never returns void. And so um, if we believe that, Paul believed that. He said, you know, regardless... Uh, they're preaching Christ, and so I'm going to rejoice. You know, I don't. They're doing it to get on my nerves. They're doing it because, um, for all these wrong reasons. Uh, but but they're still preaching Christ, so I'm going to rejoice. Um, I, I will say for me, it's hard to see that. It's hard. Um, it's so hard to watch um, people who claim to be Christians uh, to preach the gospel, but do it in such a hateful way that I'm like, why would anybody want what you're selling? Because yeah, yeah. it is just, um, it is just filled with, with hate. And, you know, I think of, there's a church, um, that was really excited about, uh, showing their outward judgments and doing mm-hmm. picketing and mm-hmm. things like that against certain people groups. And, um, they were preaching the gospel, uh, but it was a different gospel than, I guess, what uh, I I would I would hesitate to say that what they were preaching was the gospel. Uh, yeah, uh, personally, <laughs> but they were out there. They did say that Jesus is the way. They said a lot of other things aren't the way, and they said it pretty hatefully. But uh, you know, but that's the thing. You know, like. It's it's hard to to wrap my mind around that because, you know, the gospel in my mind filled with hate isn't the gospel at all. Like I mean, like you just said, it was I, a, dis- a different gospel, and I I agree with that. I I really do think, 
Um, the gospel filled with hate or malice is a different gospel altogether. Well, well, that takes us into this last passage of Scripture, which I think really helps us to seal the agape love that we're supposed to have to really understand it, and that is in First John chapter 4. It's verses 7 through 21, and again, I'm not going to read all of it, but um, John writing to probably the church in Ephesus, where he had been a pastor and elder, um, he writes them and he says, Dear friends, let us love one another because, and that's that, that because is so key. He yeah. doesn't say we're just going to love one another. He says, let us love one another because love is from God. Yeah. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And then yeah. he goes on to say, the one who does not love does not know God. Because why? Because God is love. When we show love one to another, we show God. Now, this is important. Love is not letting someone do whatever they want to. I think that we can all agree that if a parent was to let their child play in the street or play on a hot stove or crawl into the dryer, we can all agree that that is a parent that does not love their child because they are not doing everything that they can to protect that child. Love does not mean letting someone do whatever they want. Love means, just like Paul said in Corinthians, love endures all things, but it also shares the truth. So yeah. if the truth is that you are sinning or I am sinning or, or our friend who is outside of the church is sinning, the most loving thing that we can do is to say, you are outside of the will of God, but I would like to show you how to be inside of the will of God. And it begins with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. John goes on to say that God's love was revealed to us in this way, that God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. And love consists in this not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Friends, we could never, ever understand agape love outside of Jesus. And our, yeah. our friends and our colleagues outside of the church who are not Christians, they're not going to understand that agape love without a revelation from the Holy Spirit. However, their not understanding is not an excuse for us to show them anything other than what God has shown us. Absolutely, yeah. We are called over and over and over again to love those around us with the love of Jesus, a love that says, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, no matter what you are involved in, I love you because Jesus loves you. Mm. It is that love that drove Jesus to hang out with the tax collectors and the sinners when the Pharisees said, those people are unclean. Right. 
And it is that same love that should drive us because we have received it, because we have felt it, because we are under it every single day. It should drive us to go and hang out with and share and be a part of the lives of people who don't know Jesus, who don't think and act the exact same way that we do. It's kind of like Paul when he said, um, you know, it's not our place to decide who is meant for heaven or hell. Like we, we can't make that judgment because we, again, the only person who was able to achieve this perfect agape love is Jesus Christ himself. And he really is the only one who ever had the right, the birthright, um, being firstborn over all creation. He is the only one who has ever had the right to judge anyone. But guess what? He showed love. He showed mercy. He showed the ultimate sacrifice. And for us, and, and, and there is coming a day when he will act as judge over the entire earth. And we cannot forget that. But as we remember it, we must remember that he is the judge and we are not. We are not the judge. We simply show love as best as we can. We we can't show perfect love, but we can absolutely try our best. Um, and I think as we do that, um, God, God blesses us. He listens um, to our prayers, like when we pray for one another in love and when we speak the truth again, in love, because sometimes truth can come across really harsh Man, truth, if we let it. Truth can be a weapon if you're not careful. Um, but if we speak the truth in love, if we show love and mercy, even when people step on our faces, we simply show them love. And well, um, and and like, I mean, you you, I love that you've brought it back to that because that brings us back to Jesus. Nobody in history has been less deserving of having his face stepped on yeah. than Jesus. And scripture tells us Jesus looked right at Pilate and said, I could call down 12 legions of angels, but I'm not going to. You guys do what you're going to do. And that's, that's, I mean, that is who that, that is what we should. Yeah. That's how we should be living. It that's, is. that's who we should be. You know, I can't call down 12 legions of angels, <laughs> but, but you guys, you do what you're going to do because it's not going to change the fact that God made you yeah. and I'm going to love you because he loved me and told me to love you. And I can only speak for myself, but like, I, I know I'm not there yet. You know, like right, if, right, if right. something, Oh yeah, no, I'm not definitely. <laughs> I mean, obviously if, <laughs> I wish I was, if something, if somebody did something negative, uh, towards me or, you know, robbed me or um did whatever i there is a huge part of me that loves civil justice you can ask my wife and uh she'll tell you um i i love justice and it is it can be a curse um because um if somebody wrongs me um i can easily hold a grudge you know i can easily want to pursue uh, what I think is right or just. Um, but again, I mean, if somebody takes the cloak off my back, I'm commanded uh, to give him your tunic as well. Him, yeah, 
give that person my tunic as well, which, you know, obviously we don't have robes and tunics, but you get the point. Or, you know, if somebody demands that I go walk with him for a mile, um, I should be willing to go with him that extra mile. Um, and I, that type of love, that type of authenticity is just, it's absent. I mean, I just, it's so hard for me to visualize that. And that's where we're supposed to be. And so, um, again, that's a journey. It definitely is. And speaking of journeys, <laughs> why don't you tell us, Brandon, about our Wednesday evening journey? Yeah. So, um, if you're uh, obviously in the area, uh, we would love to uh, to have you come on Wednesday nights to our church at Broadway. Uh, we are are doing, like I said, um, this a discipleship initiative called the Journey um, because, as we've been talking, it really is a journey. Um, we we haven't reached our destination in the Christian walk, and we won't until uh, we meet Jesus face to face. But we come on Wednesday nights and we really just break off into groups and we um, we have those discussions centered around God's word, around his truth concerning our lives, um, and about each other, how we can build up the church, the body of Christ, and then how we can take that and apply it uh, outside the walls of our church. And I, I mean that as metaphorically as possible because obviously the church the body of Christ is talking about the people, not the building. Um, but we we have those conversations about taking that truth, um, taking the love that we have for one another and extending that um, into our community, into our state, our nation, our world. Um, and, and it's just a really sweet time. Uh, we've uh, already have one meeting since uh, recording this podcast, and it has just been really awesome to have those conversations with our membership. So what time is that on Wednesday nights? It starts at 6 p.m. on Wednesday nights, and we uh, start out in the sanctuary. All right, church, join us then on Wednesday nights for the journey. And if you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, and uh, it would help us out a lot if you uh, would just rate us one to five stars. We would prefer five, honestly, but, you know, if we're not that great, be honest. Uh, And then I guess finally, the last thing before we wrap up, next month, we're going to be talking about luck versus the sovereignty of God. You're not going to want to miss it because we're going to find out if there really is such a thing as luck and what that does have to do with God and his sovereignty. So join us again for episode six in one month. I'm John. I'm Brandon. And this has been The The Principal Thing. Walk in the light so the darkness cannot claim you. Those who walk in darkness can't see. Put your trust in the light While the days are getting shorter Then you'll become children of the light Don't forget to check our website or make sure that you're checking your bulletin each Sunday to know just exactly all the different things that are going on here at Broadway Baptist Church.